And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. It's a coaching carousel edition of the show with probably my favorite first-year football coach, Bruce Feldman from The Athletic. If you have not read his piece about coaching his son's flag football team, just stop right now, read it, come back to the podcast later. We'll wait. Don't worry. Also, if you haven't subscribed to The Athletic yet, what are you waiting for? Bruce's story would be a great place to start doing that. Or you can just go to theathletic.com slash Andy Staples, a dollar a month for your first six months. But we're here with Bruce. We're here with Ari Wasserman. We're going to talk coaching carousel because Bruce and Matt Fortuna wrote a great story, kind of crystal balling the coaching carousel for next offseason. But it happened in the middle of Jimbo Fisher versus Nick Saban. So we were a little busy on the podcast. So we're going to talk about that and also about Bruce's experience as a coach where he already knew the job was hard. But to realize it's even that much harder, Bruce, are you uh, when when we talk hiring and firing coaches now, now that you've been a, a high level championship winning football coach, does it change things for you? Uh, before we start, I have to say I'm flattered to be on. This is the first time I've ever done any podcast with the esteemed Ari Wasserman, who's become Ooh. a cult hero in this. Uh, partial disclosure, he's, a, he's, uh, and he's blackballed from the audible just cause Stu doesn't want him, but, um, what? <laughs> the truth comes out. What did I do? It's how you do it. It's not what you do. No. Um, so I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I had Bruce, I had to send Ari the clip from private parts to, to get him off the ledge yesterday because our Michigan state episode came out with Colton Pouncey. And there were some Michigan State fans mad that Ari had they 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 wanted me and Colton to sit there and lavish praise upon Michigan State. And Ari brought up the possibility that maybe they might not get every four and five star recruit that they're they have coming in on a visit. And that made them I'd hurt their feelings a little bit. And Ari's like, should I tone it down a little bit? And so I sent him the private part scene where Paul Giamatti as as pig virus is asking vomit. Uh, pig virus in real life, pig vomit in the movie. I don't remember why oh, they had to change it. Yeah. Okay. yeah. 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 And so the, the guy goes, people identify as stern fans. Uh, they listen for an hour and 20 minutes and, and their biggest reason they want to hear what it'll say next. And then people who hate stern, how many, how long do they listen? Two and a half hours. Why? They want to hear what he'll say next. That's Ari. Yeah. I, I feel like such a, bad person for doubting that Michigan State's going to win a national championship in the next five years. But, you know, I uh, I, I feel like also, too, like I listened back to the show and, and I don't know if I did the best job of explaining my position on it because like well, I, I think that people were misunderstanding my, well, my pushback. I, uh, and Bruce, I want to get your take on this, too, because we were pointing out that Mel Tucker is taking a different tack in recruiting 
where the, the it's not what Mark D'Antonio did. And it's not really what Mark D'Antonio did in 2016 either. It's Mel Tucker is kind of going out to where whoever he wherever he thinks the best players are and just trying to get them nationwide. And my point was Mel Tucker knows exactly what a national title roster looks like. So I agree with this philosophy. I don't know that it will work, but I certainly agree with trying it. And the way Ari was coming off was, well, Dabo Sweeney did it, but nobody else will be able to do it. So, And, and my thought was, are you, are you saying, Ari, that they shouldn't even try, which I disagree with? Ari, did, do you want to clarify that point? Yeah, well, the, what I was trying to say is that I think that it's a progression. I'm not saying that you shouldn't try. I think everybody should try. I've sat on this podcast um, a million times saying that they're that they should the program should try to do something different in order to achieve better results, especially in the big 10. I think there's, I think Notre Dame could try more and it looks like that they are. Um, well, they're looks, not in the big 10, but yes, no, no, I know what I'm saying. Like just in the Midwest and stuff yeah. and in Michigan before they finally beat Ohio state, I thought that there was a chance they could do something to try more and be, be I feel like the ceilings of programs that people, people have accepted as ceilings aren't actually their ceilings. It's the coach's ceiling. Um, but what I wanted to say about, um, Michigan State is that it seems like it should be building blocks where one one class you you expand a little bit more and then you get inherently better you know as time goes on and then you become more effective on the national scale. So in five years when we're having the discussion, we're having a discussion from a further advanced spot in that coach's progression. It doesn't go from one year not signing a top one hundred player to year two signing 10 top 100 players or going out because like you can expose yourself and then end up with nobody and then you're in a worse spot than you were so it's not yeah go ahead Bruce. two questions or one one's a comment one's a question so uh, when mel tucker first got to see you i did a story about his recruiting philosophy and it was you know kind of where andy was was talking about a minute ago where it was very Saban specific on measurables and size. And I just remember thinking, man, you're in Boulder, Colorado. They have not been good in a long time. If you're really trying to hit those measurables in terms of height and weight, you're going to get a lot of really slow, um, not twitchy guys that because proximity, because you're going to miss the ones who might hit that will either go to Utah, Oregon, or USC if they're going to stay on the West Coast or they're just not a lot of them. So you're going to end up with guys who – Almost none of them fit the measurables. Like they had one they got out of Arizona, and I'm blanking on his name. He was a six eight like edge rusher. I don't even know where he's at because I know he committed there. He might have transferred to ASU or Arizona. I forgot who it was, but like he was one of those guys. But I think ultimately he went to Michigan State. Now this is pre obviously NIL, pre you know you can have some aggressive boosters involved in the recruiting process, sort of thing. The other one part I wanted to ask you, Ari, is because you predate, you covered Ohio State recruiting for a long time and you predate Urban was when Jim Trestle was there. And I don't remember this as much like I know he did well in recruiting, but I know he did well in that mm-hmm. as much as it felt like Urban got more into Texas, got more into the South. And I know San Antonio Holmes was from Bell Glade. And I know there were players who are not all from that area. But from what you remember, um, how different was the Ohio State recruiting model emphasis with Trestle, which obviously worked, but like, was that kind of a progression out of it or where, mm-hmm. you know, like looking back, what was that? Yeah, I remember 
Ohio State when they were recruiting with Jim Trussell was 15 guys or 13 guys a class from Ohio and then a few more from the surrounding states in the Midwest and then Florida was their big secondary market. And then when Urban Meyer came, it was such a big-time deal just from a name recognition standpoint as somebody who recently won national championships and beat Ohio State pretty good in one of them where everybody in the country was receptive to Ohio State's sales pitch because he already had that built-in like reputation but he but he did that at florida Ari, when when he didn't have that when when he was coming from utah but what urban meyer did at ohio state was predicated on being already a made man like i mean right, I don't think but what i'm saying is when he got to florida in. he was not afraid to go anywhere to get somebody yeah like that did, that wasn't and, and, unique to him coming to ohio state that was maybe the philosophy. mel tucker comparison is that and like maybe i'll look back and like mel tucker will sign two top seven classes in the next few years and i'll be like holy crap i was wrong um, I just remember specifically writing a story like year four um, in Urban Meyer's tenure that they were taking five or six less guys from Ohio a year on average, mm-hmm. which was a huge difference. Um, and it opened the doors in places like Col- I mean, in like California and Texas, and he went back into Florida a little bit, but they were in other secondary recruiting markets that they weren't in very often before. So you I know, would argue that it is harder for Mel Tucker I think to do what he just did, win 11 games and have a top 10 season at Michigan state after, you know, the previous year, like it's a bigger jump to mm-hmm. do that than it is to have, you said seven to have a top 10 recruiting class. I think that that's probably fair. Well, it, it it's going to be fascinating to watch because, it, and this was my argument when urban Meyer got to the big 10. I remember writing this column actually after they beat Michigan state in East Lansing, in, in 2012, pretty sure that was, that was in East Lansing in 2012. But I, I remember being on the field after the game and, and thinking the rest of the big 10 is completely screwed because he's the only person here who actually understands what a national title roster looks like. Like the other people think they do, but they really have no idea. And that's, I think where Mel Tucker has somewhat of an advantage yeah, I mean, I, I went back and I read a, a few things, and no, I I thought about the way that I put it, and it's like I know Michigan State fans were very, very wrong, or very, very mad at me, and they think I'm very, very wrong. Um, I just thought that my point was that it might take a little bit longer than, like, this is the the recruiting strategy that you arrive at after a few years of success. It's just it's very, it's like a is it sustainable, and, and b do you think that it's like smart to do it right away this way? Or do you kind of start slower, a little bit closer to home and then expand out gradually? Because like it's Georgia being the secondary market for, for them is going to be like a really hard thing to do year in year out. Right. It's the only one that works though. I agree with Ari's point because if you think about it, just guys in that division, you know, Greg Schiano knows what a national championship roster looks like. He was at Miami when they built it. He was obviously at right. Ohio State when they were competing for it. Obviously, Mike Loxley has won national titles. You know, he was at Alabama when they were on top. So it's not like these guys haven't, you know, been part of it. I just think it's like the doable aspect of it where it's like, do you do you stand at home plate and take a huge swing at a 100 mile an hour fastball knowing you're probably going to corkscrew yourself into the ground or what happens if you make contact? You, you you do when you're guaranteed the money. Yeah, that's I, I mean, that's the thing. That's he gets fired. He gets the money. He keeps the job. He gets the money. So you can take as big a swing as you want. And and that is a good way to segue into 
the story that that you and Matt Fortuna put out late last month, Bruce, where you were looking into your crystal ball about the coaching carriers. This is not, and, and it's not, these guys are going to be in the hot seat necessarily. It's some people who are going to be in the hot seat, but also some people who could coach their way into bigger jobs, more money, that that sort of thing. And let, let's start with that group and, and a guy who will come back around when we're talking about Coach Bruce. Dave Clawson fascinates me. I, I know he was offered Florida State, uh, Michigan State look, looked at him when when they ultimately hired Mel Tucker. He's been very selective when jobs have come along. He's very happy at Wake Forest, but this is a guy who clearly is really good at his job. Is there any way you could see him blasted out of Wake Forest? Like, what type of job would that take? That's a great question because, as you said, I think Dave Clawson, in a in a field of people who usually aren't very self aware at the top of the food chain, because they almost feel like well, I can do anything, you know, because they have such a salesman quality. I think Dave Clawson has more self awareness than most of his peers do and knows, okay, what would work for me? What would work for my system? You know, coaching a certain kind of kid, coaching with with certain expectations. I mean, he's kind of got that thing rolling now, right? They just had a a terrific season and almost everybody's back, including, you know, one of their best players didn't get to play last year. They're arguably their top receiver is now going to play. So put all those things in place. I think... You know, remember, and I, I don't, you know, I know him, but I don't, I've never had this part of the conversation. The one place where it didn't go great was that one year in Knoxville. As the OC. Yeah. When it was Fulmer and things were falling apart around Fulmer. Like, I wonder if he thinks about it and go, you know what? I know when the grass isn't greener. And I he, know. He what. does not want to be the biggest game in town. He does not want to be the celebrity head coach where he and, and members of his family are getting stopped at the grocery store. That's not that's not his his style. So any job like that, I'm sort of crossing out. And we have this it. conversation all the time with Mark Stoops of like, what is the best job in college football, right? And Kentucky, baby, I think Kentucky is a really great job to have. But to you know, be in a place that you're comfortable with and a place that you um, feel like you could be long term, and uh, you know, you're okay with the expectations, and you know, put yourself in a position to actually exceed those expectations, and know that's fulfilling for you. I think that's great. I mean, I think that everybody's always constantly thinking about, well, what what's the next big job I can get and what's the next place that I can win a national championship and how can I become the greatest coach of all time? And it's like, I'm not saying, I don't know Dave Clawson um, the way that Bruce does, but to me, it's just like if this is something that he's comfortable with and he wants to be there, I think it's finally a, a pretty cool thing to see that somebody's content with where they are and, and knows exactly what the recipe for success is there. And he's been like he comes from pretty humble background in terms of small school football, you know, a lot of time in the Northeast, you know, one of the times where he, you know, dipped his toe into, into the other side of it was in Knoxville. And it, it, you know, it it was, it was not great. So I don't know. And, and not, you know, the other part of this was last year, we just had a very active run of of big jobs came open. I'm not sure how many big jobs are going to come open in this cycle. So if you're, if you're Dave, and you're probably going to come off another top 15 season, I think. What do you look at and say, yeah, this is a better situation for me? I'd be skeptical if he was if he leave. I'm not saying never, but I would be skeptical if there's a job that's going to pull him away. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Other folks who, who may be able to play their way into a big job, you mentioned Jeff Brom, Bruce, which is an interesting one because he's had a couple really good years sandwiched and then sandwiched in between some not great years Louisville is always kind of looming out there. We don't know what's going to happen with Scott Satterfield. That place always seems to have some element of chaos around it. You had, you know, the criticism of the athletic director search because they just promoted the interim from, you know, from internal. It's it's strange to to think that that's still, you know, because like, Brom, I feel like, should be happy at Purdue. Like, they pay him very well given the results so far. But if he had a big year this year, I feel like he'd be he'd be a hot name, not just if Louisville made a change. Yeah, I mean, and Louisville is the one that I think would be the one to watch if whatever happens with Scott Satterfield. Look, I think Louisville could have a really good season. Their quarterback quietly had a terrific year last year. Um, and I think they, you know, it's interesting with Louisville to shift gears for just a second. You know, as Ari could attest, they have elevated recruiting branding you know they have a big presence on the west coast part of it is the clarkson you know push that has come out of steve clarkson his son going there and they're an interesting program to watch as you said um i think both guys are really good coaches i think that if you asked louisville fans who would you want i mean that's the home guy he just you know nine year, nine wins last year aiden o'connell's a really good quarterback and i feel like you know he's back they they have a chance to like, like to me, I think people look at Purdue and it's like, they're never going to go all in the way a bunch of us did when Scott Frost got to Nebraska and somebody's going to go, Oh yeah, Purdue is going to be a, you know, a, we can talk about Michigan state in a context. We're not, I don't know if we're ever going to talk about Purdue. But the thing is Purdue could compete for the, the West title as long as there's a West division, which may only be this year, but Another coach you mentioned in this coach carousel column, which I, I is 
he he's a lightning rod, but I don't think you can argue with his results is PJ Fleck. Like what if PJ Fleck won the West this year? Would I don't he be know the what, hottest name in coaching. I don't know. You know, like PJ is interesting in that. I thought he did, you know, the last year was kind of an interesting microcosm of him. They were down, they were down like six running backs. They still, you know, won a bunch of games, yet they lost to a horrible bowling green team. Yes. It was like, you know, I think there's some stuff that he does that maybe people, you know, aren't comfortable with PJ's persona, yet it's all I think it's authentic. It's just, you know, you look at it in total. I, I had a hard time thinking USC could hire PJ Fleck. Because when you looked at his record, uh, he had a really good, you know, uh, finish at, you know, in the MAC, and then he's done some good things at Minnesota, and yet his record in the Big Ten is not great. It's okay, and to think that he goes from there to if you know whatever would happen, where Jim Harbaugh, obviously, you know, he had a big year, or whatever happened in the USC search, I was just like, man, I don't see, and I think he's a good coach, but I don't see it. You know, in yeah. terms of that, um, I feel so like I, Matt Campbell would be the one for jobs like that. But I'm I'm done predicting Matt Campbell to leave Iowa State. All it does is make Iowa State fans mad, and it hasn't happened yet. So until it happens, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty much done with that. Yeah, short of Matt Campbell winning the the Big Twelve last year, I mean USC wanted a really splashy hire. They were fortunate that it worked out with with Lincoln Riley. Um, you know, I thought it was going to be Matt Campbell for a while. And then, you know, he did not have a great year. It was kind of the little bit of the, the bloom came off the rose. Cause I think, you know, they went from being nine the year before the best ever season. They were, I think preseason five or six or seven, and they lost a lot of one score games and barely, you know, barely were over 500. I don't know, you know, I, you look at the jobs to me, he's very he's similar in, you know, in regard to like Luke fickle, where you always hear there's probably only three jobs. Luke fickle would really consider Ohio state or Ryan days entrenched there, Notre Dame. Now, you know, Marcus, Brand new coach, yeah. There. yeah. And Penn state where James Franklin just signed a long-term deal. So barring one of those guys, you know, hitting the ripcord to go to the NFL, you know, I don't see Luke fickle leaving and I'm not sure what, you know what Matt Campbell would look at and go, okay, that's definitely a better situation. I don't see Luke Fickle saying, yeah, I want to jump into the SEC. I'm not saying he wouldn't touch it, but I just, that doesn't. I don't see Matt Campbell saying that either. No, same thing. Very similar. So let's talk about some of the ones that, that may open and Auburn is, is top of mind because we spent all of late January, early February talking about essentially Auburn donors trying to create a, a coup that would allow Brian Harson to be fired for free. They couldn't, couldn't drum up a reason and decided not to pay his buyout. So now he's sitting out there. I, I still feel terrible for Brian Harson in all this, even though he's going to get paid millions of dollars when he ultimately gets fired. But like this, it, it, the whole way it was done stinks. And I just feel bad for Auburn fans that they got to go through kind of a lame duck season now. Yeah, I mean, you have quarterback change. You just had a – there's just a lot to unpack. You also have such a volatile booster set um, there that I feel like it's a long shot for him to win enough to win people over. I'm not saying he's Clay Helton, 
but there's because his personality feels like that. Different. Yeah, but there's a there's a weird fit. Clay Helton didn't feel like he fit with USC, where they were never gonna buy in. There were some rocky moments. At least Clay Helton actually had you know a really big year at one point where they won a Rose Bowl. Whereas I think it gave him a little bit of cover for a little bit. Whereas you know here you have a guy who's in a sh- who's in a Shark Tank in the SEC West. And you need the boosters to buy in. Like, I think Andy, you and I have talked about this offline a bunch where like, if boosters don't, you know, want to kind of sabotage you, they have more opportunity to do it now. Than ever. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. What's that number? What's that number that he would have to win this year to satisfy the boosters? Because like, from my standpoint and what I'm focused on every day is I see that Auburn's not very, very much in the mix for really any of the top 100 players in the country. And it's like, to me, if I'm an Auburn fan or an Auburn booster, I'm thinking, well, even if he goes out and somehow miraculously wins eight or nine games this year, the, the, the long-term impact of what that program is headed for right now with their, what they're bringing in isn't good enough. You know, I just, I kind of feel like he's kind of in a weird spot right now. Eight games. He needs to win at least double digits to win over boosters. I think he needs to win. You know, if he wins 10, I think people go, all right, let's give this guy a chance. If he doesn't get to that, um, I just think, man, you know, like, especially if some of these games turn out to be blowout losses, um, which I think some of them will, I think you're looking at, you know, if he goes eight and four, I don't see that that does anything for them to go. Yeah, we're going to give him more time. Yeah, it'll be interesting when Penn State comes in because – are you were with me with Audrey for our Penn State State of the program? It was a pretty lukewarm assessment, you know, and and we don't need to go relitigate that. But this feels like kind of a year before the year for Penn State, where they're you're going to be fairly average by their standards. If they go in there and beat Auburn, I don't like Auburn's chances against pretty much anybody else in the sec West. That's good. But let's just say the miracle happens and they win 10 games. What about a 10 win season and the recruiting class that's ranked number 31? Uh, They'd still keep him. Cause if you, if you win 10 games against this schedule, you are a hell of a coach. Like it is, it's a tough, tough. I I feel like 10 games is kind of like, let me just point this out though. Like, it's not just the SEC West. They not only have like to go; they have to play they have Georgia every year. Georgia. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it's like good luck with that. I mean, Missouri is very average, but that's what you're getting, you know, from the other side. Man. Mm-hmm. That's and you got LSU with Brian Kelly coaching them now. You you've got Texas A and M. Like this is a must win for Texas A and M. Like they have to win this game if you're Jimbo Fisher. Like you can't be losing. You can't be losing to this team, and. That's a crazy place for Auburn to be there because that's usually we're talking about Arkansas or Mississippi State when we're talking about that. But like if you're Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M and your goal is to win the SEC and win and compete for national titles like you, you can't lose to this Auburn team. Yeah, I, I, I would be shocked. Like if he get if he gets 10 wins, he should be national coach of the year. Yes. Yeah, so no, I know. But I, I said eight, though, and everyone's like, what? Eight. I mean, if he well, wins eight it, games in the schedule, I think that'd be a pretty encouraging result. I agree, and and but eight games in a thirty in a number thirty one recruiting class gets him fired. I mean, it it because all you have to do look at Dan Mullen. 
similar situation where he was coming off three and three double digits win seasons in a row. Uh, I guess 2020, they didn't win double digits, but had it been a normal year instead of the COVID year, they would have. So he's coming off three very good seasons in a row. It was the recruiting that got him. It wasn't necessarily the the falling off a cliff last year mm-hmm. because the falling off a cliff happened when it became clear the recruiting was going to get him fired. Can we? Can I ask you guys this? So let's give Mercer, they should beat them. San Jose State, home should beat them. Let's say Penn State, it's home, should beat them. And they have Western Kentucky, that's certainly winnable. So, you know, fine. Then they have Missouri at home. So that's five wins. What mm-hmm. are the other three wins that you're you would you would be like? Yeah, I could see them getting these. LSU, Arkansas, Mississippi, Mississippi State, State, and A&M would be the ones that that you think are coin flips at that point. But you're going to lose some. Like Mississippi State is going to beat a lot of teams that think they're going to beat Mississippi State this year. I think the question that you ask is the perfect way to frame it. I, I don't know where I would find the other three. I don't know that I find three wins in, in Mike, that. If you bunch. find four coin tosses and you give them fifty fifty shot in either and then those four, then you can account for two, which gets you to seven. And I'm not yeah. necessarily sure that the games that we said that they were gonna win are yeah, 100%. I'm not, I'm not yeah. sure they're definitely beating Missouri, Missouri and I'm not yeah. sure right. they're beating Penn State. That's right. They may right. be one of them. I don't I don't know if I'd feel confident they're gonna win both. Yeah. So I, I don't again, it's gonna have to be if it since he does not have the hope of the great recruiting class on the horizon. It's going to have to be wins. And I just don't see how you get enough. Bruce, can I ask you this? Because you're so much more plugged in when it comes to, you know, the coaching search stuff. But how much do you think that recruiting classes in general play into the minds of of these administrators when they're when they're making these decisions? Like, do you think I overblow it? I think a little bit in terms of, you know, going into a hot seat, like if you could have you know, like I think it's it's worse for the recruits than it is for the boosters, right? I think it's easy to 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 sell it against a school to say, hey, you don't want to go there because that coach isn't going to be there a year from now, that kind of thing. But I don't know if people look at it and say, like, he could have, you know, like recruiting rankings are really fickle right now, right? Like you, I forgot, like it might be Northwestern. There's somebody who's in like the top 10 without like a top 300 recruit because they have a bunch of commits, right? Texas Tech. Texas is Tech there. is number one in Northwest. I mean, uh, Cincinnati's number four, but you know, it's all because but I think quantity. I thought it was yeah. Northwestern has like no top 300 ranked players and they're somewhere in like the top 10. I think at least on 247's number. Northwestern's number six right now. And how, yeah, that's my point. And, they're, they're like, and they don't have a top 300 player. That's right. Yeah. So when you look at some of those, you're like, okay, let's take some of this with a grain of salt right now because, you know, like, where it factors in at this time of year. Now, obviously, I, nobody thinks Fitz is on the hot seat or anything, but I'm just saying, like, I think people will take the recruiting rankings. You can spin it however you want to spin it for a while. To me, the hardest thing is, like, I don't I don't think if, if boosters are not believing in the coach, like, at one point, like, LSU had some big recruits committed to them. That wasn't saving Ed Ogeron. No, but LSU is a different animal. LSU is one of the few places left where people really do recruit, uh, uh, commit to the school. Yeah, and I think good. LSU and Notre Dame might be the only ones that, that are that. So I think that's, that's part of it. But I think it, if you have a few kind of, you know, top 100 type, like let's say if somebody got Arch Manning, and right now it looks like Arch Manning may go to Georgia, which different animal in that case. But 
let's say you were a school that didn't typically recruit in the top 10 and you had an Arch Manning type player committed, you might be able to hang your hat on that as a coach to keep your job. Or it might make for a good tiebreaker. But I don't think I don't think a recruiting class that is typical of your school's normal performance is a job saver. So let's just say like this hypothetical, and I don't know if the math is perfect here, guys, but I'm very curious what you think. And you're a coach in year two of a middle tier program and you're building towards something. And if you if you have a disastrous season, you might not be fired, but you're you're headed towards something. If you're a fan of that school, would you and I gave uh, a value for each win being 10 spots in the recruiting rankings. What would you prefer to see more wins in the early beginning part of that person's tenure? Or would you rather have those 10 spots? Because like Ralph Russo was texting us the other day about like my take on on recruiting rankings versus wins and losses. And he thought it was insane that I thought that I would rather have a higher ranked recruiting class than than wins. I agree with Ralph. Because. Mine's a little more nuanced than that. Like, my, I'm about trajectory, which is both, and both figure in. So you're going to, to satisfy me more if I'm the fan or the administrator. If, <laughs> I hate to say this, if you lose a little up front, but your team gets better and you end on a hot streak. So let's say you have a 7-5 and five record but four of your last five are wins and you're getting some good recruits like that is going to give me a lot more confidence than you beat up on a couple crappy teams in the non-conference. You fell off a cliff and you ha- and then you have a decent recruiting class. So you'd rather in. be eight and four with the 27th best than than six and six uh, with the 17th best or the no, 15th it depends best. on the six. It, it depends yeah. on the six. Like, did, did you win four of your last six and have that? I'd rather have. Yeah, that. I mean, I guess it's it's all nuanced, but I, I feel yeah. like the the importance of getting players into the program is the hardest part. So, like getting multiple extra but I wins. Careful with how, like, I would point to USC. Like towards the end of Clay Helton's run, he had a top ten class. I don't know how good a lot of those players are actually going to prove to be. Right. You know, yeah. I think you can't get too caught up in oh these guys were ranked this. This I'm not is saying- this is where having somebody who understands football very well in your administration can help you because you can star chase and goose a ranking. Yeah. Like you can get guys who, you know, they might not make grades or they don't fit what you do at all, but they've got a high star ranking. Like you can do that. Cause USC and is the perfect example of that because USC their class was awesome. Yeah. Cause like but that, that uh, I think it's 2021 when it was a top, you know, seven or eight Corey Foreman in it. Yeah. Corey Foreman was in it. You had like a linebacker who I think a lot of that staff was not sure how he's going to make an impact. Rajon Davis, I think. Yeah, yeah, you have guys in there. Like even before that, USC had some guys where they had high star ranking and people were like, eh, this guy, you know, it was like they got, they like Andy said, I think they chased stars. And a bunch of those players, when they – left the program, you know, left early for the NFL, didn't get drafted or, you know, that kind of thing. USC has also been like notoriously the worst developmental program in college football. Right. Too. So I, I wonder I, how I, that manifests. It's, one of, the, it's one of those things where like if you, if you run a three, four and you take a very highly rated guy who looks like Geno Atkins, who's a, you know, like a gap shooting three technique. Well, you just took somebody who doesn't fit what you do. Like there's no place for him in your defense. So if you know 
if you know that, if you understand the game, you're going to look at that and go, that person is just chasing stars. They don't, they're not, they're not trying to make their team better. Right. So that's the, that's the, well, you part. think coaches do that? Oh, I, I know I coaches, do think coaches do it. Yeah. I think not, not only this Ari, and this goes back, you know, I did a recruiting book 15 years ago and they were even getting paid. Um, staffers were getting paid for who they signed. That's the athletic department would give, Money Bonus is based on like rivals in 24 yeah. seven rankings. Yeah. So, and when you know this and Antonio and I did a story, uh, you know, about USC after Clay Helton got fired about, you know, one of the coaches was like admitted. Yeah. Like we know how the star system can work where if you call and get somebody elevated, you know, because it does what you're saying. Like I definitely feel like from talking to people inside USC that they were hoping, Hey, we can showcase Jackson dart. If he plays really well against UCLA on a you know a, on a somewhat of a marquee stage, it will make our job more attractive. It's like it gives people hope. Well, you have to sell something. If you can't sell wins, you sell. But if you can sell wins, you obviously can do that. Yeah, you know, that's why I would say I think you over and you know to to kind of back up. I don't know exactly what what Ralph Russo told you, but I would agree with Ralph. Like it's like. Wins is one thing. If you don't have wins, then you got to sell something else. We'll be right back after these words. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not preach you and your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Let's talk about another person who came into his job with an idea that he was going to recruit very well and and had a, a history as a very good recruiter in his previous stops. He has gotten some players who normally wouldn't have gone to his school, but the best ones left already. This is Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech. So Jameer Gibbs was sort of the the example that here's a guy from Atlanta. I got him. This is going to change everything. We're shifting from from the option that Paul Johnson ran, and, and we're going to run a more conventional offense. And now Jameer Gibbs is at Alabama. He will. I will. I will bet you he's the best player who came out of the transfer portal this year in the whole country. And Georgia Tech's lost five assistant coaches. Like it looks like the end for Jeff Collins. The so I, I help one of our colleagues on a state of the program where I you know got the scouting report from, from another assistant or another coach. And this person made the point um, that a lot of people just assume because of the transfer portal, that it is easier to flip a program this, this day and age. And he said, in some ways it's harder because look at the example of by far their best player they had 
and he leaves after two years because it's just not, you know, you can get up and leave. And that's the problem. How are you supposed to develop a culture when your best players can leave because there's just better opportunity or better circumstance someplace else? You know, they're tired of being mediocre, in this case, less than mediocre, you know, results. And, you know, it was an interesting, interesting point to bring up because, as you said, Jeff Collins does have a reputation for being a really good recruiter. He's been around it. He knows what it looks like. And yet, you know, he got Jeff Sims. Jeff Sims was a big recruiting get Mm -hmm. for him at the time from Florida State. And he's had some moments, but it's just like, how are you sustaining? And I think, you know, I think anybody would have known to go from from what Paul Johnson was running to not that is going to take some time. And hey, he had the franchise running back, but the offensive line has 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 been a challenge, and that's no fault to Brent Key, who had been there before and had been at a lot of places, the old line coach. But I man, I don't know how patient they can be unless you know if he wins five games. You know, then okay, that maybe that's some sign. Probably got to upset somebody, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the only way. And I just that's one. It's a weird job. I I had this conversation with somebody a few years ago, where I said that the the thing a big money donor could do to help Georgia Tech football the most is endow an easy major, like because they are in kind of that Notre Dame zone of you can get them in. It's hard to, it's keep, hard them. to keep them there. Right. It's a, but here's the thing: it's a big state university. Like there is no shame in having an easy major at a big state university. So somebody endow that degree program and 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 make it happen. It's an interesting point. I think the challenge for them too. Look, it's fortunate. Like Auburn, as Ari alluded to, is not recruiting great. That's somebody who's kind of, you know, in your local area. Obviously, we know Georgia's going on full blast now. I just know a lot of guys who have recruited Atlanta who've always felt like this was a sleeping giant program, you know, and have had, you know, really attracted to it. It's an obviously a huge city. There aren't that many programs that are in a hot recruiting area that are in big markets. I mean, I, I, I would argue that Atlanta and Houston are now the best two cities for talent in America because like Atlanta. And here's the difference between because I. I as a Floridian, I know my fellow Floridians are going to come after me on this one, but here's why. Georgia pays its football coaches so much better than Florida does. High school football coaches in Georgia make money. High school football coaches in Florida make nothing. So they actually develop players. High school coaches in Texas make a lot of money. They do. They do. But well, yeah, the, the athletes in Georgia are so plentiful and there's more coming every day because their population is still booming. And I'm telling you, that's that is why Mel Tucker is going down there. And that's why you see all these people trying to get into Metro Atlanta. You would think that the school sitting in Midtown Atlanta would be a no brainer, but it's not. And this is this is why I say if they make a move, go talk to Dion. Now, I saw the Jean-Jacques Taylor story in Sports Illustrated where Dion's talking about wanting to have an HBCU renaissance. So maybe he he stays at Jackson State. He certainly doesn't need the money. So it's not like this, this is a money thing for him. But if he wants to prove that he could be a Power 5 school, that's the one I think you put him at. 
Well, I mean, unless, be- <laughs> Florida, unless his alma mater isn't winning. Right, unless Florida State opens up, which we can we can talk yeah. about if y'all want to. I I still think they're in a financial situation that makes it very difficult to make a change. I also think Mike Norvell is probably going to do a little better this year. Maybe that's me just being a little too optimistic, but I look at the way they played for him at the end of last season. It was very promising. You know, nobody quit when they certainly could have, and they got better as the season went on. So I, I do think they're going to be a little bit better this year. So that's why I'm not just assuming that Florida State opens, but but you two may disagree with me on that. You're you're a big uh, how did the last season uh, trajectory on the field go guy. Yeah, did did everybody quit on you? Basically, yeah, <laughs> it means something. Yeah, I uh, I don't know if it's just me and my recruiting temperament, but when um, Travis Hunter flipped from Florida State to Jackson State, um, it just kind of felt like the air came out of the balloon a little bit. Am I imagining that? No, it was crushing for them. I think, like I, I feel like where Andy's coming from. I, I think Mike Norvell is a good coach. He did a really good job at Memphis. A little torn by that because you know who else did a good job at Memphis and it exactly. didn't go great. Justin Fuente, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think, and I don't think this was a, as much a Willie thing as much as it was also Jimbo backsliding right. too. I, I think we just didn't maybe grasp how deep of a hole that program was in. And so there's, you know, it, it's that expression. It's probably going to get worse before it gets better. You know, I just think he just doesn't need to take a step back. I think the the challenge for him is the, you know, if Dion is keeps elevating if he keeps winning double digit games at jackson state i'm sorry somebody needs to hire him in the power or try and and he can say no because obviously he doesn't need the money so i i just you can you can say it's dion it's a gift whatever wins or wins if you're billy napier who's the last person do you like Deion sanders yeah yeah i i'm hoping mike norvell has a decent year I'm hoping Mike Norvell goes seven and five. And as long as one of the seven isn't against me at the end of the year. Yo, yeah. If you're Billy Napier, absolutely. 100%. Yeah, that's like the because, perfect sweet spot. Because you do not want to be sandwiched between Deion Sanders and Mario Cristobal. No, I, I agree. And, and Billy Napier knows what he what he's doing, knows what he's going after. I mean, like we said with Mel Tucker, you understand what you're trying to do. It's a matter of doing it now. So it, it is... That that is going to be a fascinating situation. Even if you to watch. take Deion Sanders' profile as primetime out of the the equation, and I just said, guys, you have to hire a coach. And then there's a coach out there that's at a lower level that won ten games and got the number one player in the country to come to their school, regardless of what the tool is. Isn't that an automatic candidate? Yes. Thank you. I feel it <laughs> now. Now we're on the same page. So, I, I that's exactly right. Like you, you name him not Deion Sanders. Name him Bob Smith. Doing the same things, he'd be a hot candidate for sure. Good. Somebody, somebody needs to hire Jamie Chadwell out of out of Coastal Carolina. Well, that that's another thing too. So here's the here's the thing with Jamie Chadwell that the reason the big jobs have not come along, and here and there, I, I will tell you the perfect spot for Jamie Chadwell because this might he might have a shot, and I bet he'd do well there. The reason bigger jobs have not looked at Jamie Chadwell is because he's never been an assistant at the Power 5 level, has not had to recruit at that level. He started at North Greenville in Division 2 as a head coach. He went to the FCS at Charleston Southern as a head coach. He came to 
to Coastal as they were transitioning to FBS. So, and, and the thing is, most of his staff has been with him the entire time. He would like to keep the core group together if he could and has managed to so far. So that's the issue. Here's where I think he's ha- he's got to be willing to deal with the, the crap because he's not going to get first pick of the Power 5 jobs. But if Auburn comes open, they're going to be told no by people who are like, I don't want to deal with that mess that Brian Harson just dealt okay, with. Okay, so give me, I'm going to I'm gonna throw out right. two other names and you okay. guys each rank them in your order of, of preference okay. for Auburn. Jamie Chadwell, who I know both Andy and I are huge fans of and I, I don't know where Ari stands. Um, Hugh Freeze mm-hmm. and Lane Kiffin. Rank them if you're Auburn. If you're Auburn's administration, you're going to go Lane first. No, he's asking you. I'm asking you. Mm. I'm asking you, Ari. I'd go Hugh first because I know he can recruit at that level. I am and, so... And, I, and, and I'm Auburn, so I've dealt with the bad press already, so I can accept that there will be bad press. Ari? I don't think... I think I would go Lane number one. Am I weird? No. Yes, but this is a moot point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're weird anyway, but... Stick to the top. I... I love what Lane Kiffin's doing in the portal, too. Like, I mean, they're going to be a really good team this year, right? Are they going to win 10 games again? You think? These are three really good options. Yes. Yeah, you can win with all these. The thing about Lane Kiffin is that I I don't know. You know, he's gone places before and either left very quickly or failed there. And, like, I don't know if this is, like, a new, more advanced version of, like, a mature Lane Kiffin that – knows how to win at a higher level because like I've always been like somebody that's been afraid or f- I would fret to hire somebody who has already failed at the same level. Can Auburn get the level of recruit that Ole Miss can't? I think is the question. Now, when Hugh Freeze was at Ole Miss, yeah, he was getting he, he could was get getting that level Luigi of recruit and yeah, Latron yeah. Uh, Treadwell and he got yeah. um Greg Little guy. Laramie Tunsil. Thank you. Yeah. Well, how much do you think that? So you're just like the negative press thing. You're just, uh, we'll just deal with the the hurricane. How much more negative press does Auburn care about? Uh, like, yeah, th- they we just savaged them for two months because of what happened with with them trying to get rid of Harson. Like, I don't think they care at this point. Three really good options. Oh, yeah. But here here's the thing: if you can't run Hugh Freeze by your president, which you may not be able to. And Lane, I think he'd take that, but I don't know because he's got a good job that pays a lot of money and I don't know you want to deal with that mess. If you're Jamie Chadwell, deal with the mess because you can win there. Also like a style thing too. It kind of like makes them entertaining and, you know, people might be more into like watching Auburn. Jamie Chadwell's the first coach that, that ever ran the triple option that quarterbacks want to play in. Like that's an option that quarterbacks actually want to play in. Like the throwing quarterbacks want to play in. So I yeah, I think what's your ranking, Bruce? Um, I like all three options. Freeze is man, if I if I looked at it from the perspective of if I was Nick Saban, who's the who's the guy I don't want at Auburn, it's Freeze. Like Andy said he can recruit. Mm-hmm. He's a you know, Lane's a great play caller, Freeze is a great play caller. Freeze also I mean, I've just like I've been in the room hearing him talk to players. Freeze there, and I'm not saying Freeze could 
you know, I would could see Freeze at a Pac-12 school. I could see Freeze in the Big Ten. Freeze there, man. Like I think, I think he would work. You know, I think he would turn them into a top ten program. Jamie Chadwell, I'm not as sure. Like I think he's an excellent coach, and I think he. I but Freeze has done it. Freeze, um. You know, like, I don't know. I, I would say I would agree with Andy. It's not a knock on Wayne or Jamie Chadwell. I'm like, I, I think really highly of Jamie Chadwell. This is like one thought that popped into my head. You know, Andy and I were both in um, San Antonio for the coaches convention. I remember that after the coaches meetings, you know, like not every coach in the country was there, but probably 50% of them or 60%. And there is a charisma to him that is different than a lot of head coaches. And I think for most people who've not been around him and like in person, you maybe just watch the game. You know, you've seen as some of his, especially in the pandemic year of 2020, where it was like, you know, I think people were more open to watching the Sun Belt because some weeks they, that was all there was. Um, I think if you're around him, you're like, oh man, I could see why, why people follow him. And I can see, you know, there's something to him. You know, like as, as Andy said, the system is really interesting what they do. He's been able to keep coaches around him. Um, I think he's excellent. You know, it's just. Yeah, it, it kind of pisses me off that programs that have had openings have. And, and this is not a case of he's been courted and just said no. Like they don't even talk to him. They don't even consider. They don't even ask. So I just think they're they're showing a lack of imagination there. But. Like Bruce said, and this is why I said Hugh Freeze first, if I'm Auburn, I want to know you can get players. And and Hugh Freeze, more than anybody else, has shown you can do that. And in this environment, the stuff that Hugh Freeze was, was castigated for by the NCAA, well, that's not an issue anymore. What happened on the recruiting trips when you know it was just him and, well, I guess somebody else, that is the thing you have to deal with. And if you're Auburn, you know, you're going to have to look like hypocrites to do it with your Auburn family, blah, 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 all that. But I think given everything they've dealt with and, and the negative press they've been dealing with, I don't think they would care at this point. So we'll, we'll see. But we have to talk about another coach right now. We got to talk about Coach Bruce. Coach Bruce, who just led... A pee, the, the Peewee Rams to a, what do we call it, national title, league title? It was a league title for sure. Yes, we're going to call it a, a Peewee Super Bowl in uh, NFL flag SoCal. This is five-on-five five flag football. Everybody can go out for a pass. Uh, one pass rusher coming from 10 yards away. Is that right? That is correct. So you were not going to be a coach, but... Multiple emails came through saying, essentially, we're going to have to cut kids from the league if we can't get enough coaches. And you stepped up because you are that kind of dad. No, I, I was pretty reluctant to do it in part because I didn't know almost any of the kids. This is like 20, 20, 20 minutes away from where we live, 25 minutes. So the leagues my son was in, I knew, excuse me, I knew a lot of those kids and had a better feel for it. Also, it's like you said, it was, we're going from eight on eight where there's blocking and line play to five on five where it was more wide open. I'm just like, I don't even know what to do defensively on this. And so um, I was, you know, really hesitant. Plus there's just like, 
there's another aspect of it of involvement where I'm like, I don't know when we practice all this other responsibility stuff that I'd been an assistant coach, but you don't have to be the responsible one with that. And so I kind of shrugged my shoulders on it. And then finally I was like, all right, I got to do this. And then going into coming out of the draft and our first practice, I'm like, Oof, we like the bad news bears here. And that my, my no, biggest, my, my, my favorite is the draft. When oh. you, you, first of all, they, they take, somebody takes all the kids that you had intended to draft because they were part of a similar friend group. Uh, you draft a kid because you, you're looking at his stop weight you there. When I yeah. got to the point of the story where there was a draft, I was like, what? Like, is that no, like I had no idea. That like it's is, your responsibility to draft your team. Like you're the GM. That is fair. Like, I think that's pretty standard in a lot of places. Now it was a little different with this draft, at least to me. And this was the first draft I'd sat in, but was that there was players, as Andy said, where if, First of all, there were some teams that were kept intact who were from the year before. So those players aren't in the draft. And then they're not eligible to be in the draft, essentially. And then, you know, you have a list of names. It's height, weight, the 30 time they ran and At how the far combine, they the which, which you guys left the okay. combine because it was taking too long. We left the combine. We were there for over an hour. We're like, uh, let's we got to go. And so we didn't. So. You know, I'm sitting there thinking I knew a couple knew of a couple of kids. I didn't know them personally, but knew a couple of kids from the other league we played in. And then there were baseball players that like my son was in this league and there were some really good baseball players. I had no idea how they'd be as football players. I have a, a dad buddy who um, his kid wasn't in the league, but his he knew of a lot of the baseball players Um and, and knew, you know, he was on some similar teams. And so I got, you know, he gave me some feedback on some of them. And then when I went in there, my list of like 11 guys that I was looking at turned into, I had basically one available to me. Um, and it was like, I walked out of there feeling really stupid. Well, my, <laughs> just, my favorite is you pick your, you make your first pick and then they're like, this kid has a brother. So he's on your team too. I don't think when Les Snead is drafting for the Rams, the, the the picks they don't trade away that somebody goes yeah that that guy's mom's gonna have to drive his brother to practice too so we're gonna put him on your team too yeah and I'm sitting there I'm looking at the 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 four, the thirty time and I'm like my the one kid I'm drafting is big he's heavy so I'm like hopefully this is my Dontari Poe here and then as <laughs> home I'm thinking hmm this kid is about the same height as my son probably runs around what I think my son would have run based on some of the other kids. And he's 40 pounds heavier. That's a lot of weight to pack on what I'm thinking is a second grader, you know, to, but I was like, you know, we'll see. And then when they showed up, the two brothers were, you know, were some of the were early. I found out that they actually weren't twins, which is what I assumed. And my first round pick was actually a kindergartner. <laughs> and so I was like, hmm, it didn't quite go as I thought. Now, those kids were great kids. Like my, the, the older brother was was uh super smart and almost like too smart for his own good at one point i remember he's like one of our players scored a touchdown and he came over to the ref and he was like wasn't that flag guarding which would be like stiff arming or whatever it's like oh yeah, like, you slap at the flag oh yeah yeah and i was like dane it's we're good you don't need to like go convince the ref that we should lose points because you think <laughs> one of your teammates 
was basically fly guarding or whatever. And your players are too honest, Bruce. I love honest, it. you know, but like, but, but like that one kid, like, so both of those kids were our centers. The one kid was, was pretty much the, the starting center and the other kid, his brother was the backup. And at the last game of the year, when we played in the championship, um, we were down one player and cause he had a baseball tournament. So we were kind of shorthanded. So it meant the, the, um, the older brother, was going to have to play some cornerback. In addition, it was a hot day. And so we really, you know, had to lean on the younger brother too to, to help out with a lot more play and a lot more reps. And those kids and the parents were awesome. Like that was the best thing I could say is like the kids did everything I asked. Like if, when people read the story, if they haven't yet, um, there was a couple plays we put in. One was 92, which is a leech, you know, air raid kind of staple. Crossing and- routes. Leeches reasoning because them. little kids get confused. <laughs> so it, this crossing route, the part of it for people who know it, and it's funny, Neil Brown at West Virginia texted me and I was like, do you guys still make the receivers slap hands cross? You know, that's how tight they have to be. And he goes, yeah, we still do it to this day. And when I, the, the first time we ran it, cause I was like, all right, we need like a man beater where it's just like in case, you know, like I'm thinking everybody's going to play zone. But at some point we started seeing people play, try to play us man. So I was like, all right, we're, you know, we're going to end up using this and we repped it. And the one, you know, I didn't realize until we also, this is not going to probably sound great either, Ari, but we filmed all of our games. We didn't film practice, but we'd film our games. And sure enough, you know, like that kid was, was doing, was doing everything we had coached him to do, even if he didn't rep it that much he would do it in the games. And I was like, that's awesome that this kid's attention to detail was that good. That's amazing. My other favorite is you have basically invented a play because something happened by accident is essentially the same story of at Glenville state back in West Virginia, when Rich Rodriguez was the head coach as a 29 year old or whatever. And Jed Drenning, his quarterback tripped and accidentally invented the read option mesh you guys basically accidentally invented like an inverted Statue of Liberty play that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, so like I think it was the second game. Um, and the the one kid we knew of in the league um, before was, was a really good player. And he was mostly our quarterback. Like so we would have him be the quarterback and my son was the quarterback in red zone and with running the uh running the slow mesh but like so this kid was going to give my son a handoff and it was basically just a run to the right and unfortunately he turned to the left and opened up to the left and my son kind of hesitated for a while because he was like all right that's not supposed to have this go and the kid had enough wherewithal to spin around and backhand with his right hand my son the ball my son grabbed the ball and he just sprinted and outran the defenders into the end zone for a touchdown and after the game, we had a, we have one parent who is a, a college coach, and he was at the game, and he said, "Hey, what was that misdirection play you guys ran?" I'm <laughs> like, "Well, it was an accident." Uh, Preston, our our quarterback in that play, turned the wrong way. I said, "But I think I'm putting it in. I have, you know, like." And so we started practicing it, and it was interesting. Is like he could do it, but it was never as effective as the first time he did it. Cause he really sold it going to the left. Yeah. And so, as you said, it looked kind of like a statue of Liberty. Um, but what I ended up finding out 
you know, again, and I mentioned this a minute ago, is like we ran slow mesh from Wake Forest. Now, Dave Clawson, I, I, I told you Dave Clawson was coming back around in this podcast. <laughs> I had I had said like week two after like it worked. The first the first game we hit a big touchdown run on. The second week we ran it three different ways, and after the second week, I texted Dave, who I don't know that well. I know him, you know, I know him a little bit. Well, you're his favorite but, reporter now. Yeah. I said, by the way, we're, you know, we put in slow mesh and it's working. And I told him he was like, he started laughing. And so I called him, I never said to him, Hey, how do you guys read it? You know, one, one thing we did do like JT O'Sullivan, who was a former NFL quarterback or backup, he had done a breakdown of sl the slow mesh. It's like a 14 minutes online, uh, thing where it's a lot of all 22 and he O'Sullivan says on there, I don't know exactly why they're reading it this way or why they, why the quarterback went yeah. here and the, but the it, rules are not made available. They are not. And nor was I expecting Dave to, you know, Dave never told me any, like, this is how we read it this way or whatever. But like, it was interesting because my son and I sat there like my kid's obsessed with football. He watched a ton of them running it. So he had a good feeling, at least for the timing of what it was supposed to look like. And so even when it was like when he'd pull it, like we got to the point where he was reading defensive back, a defensive back. And so he would kind of know that's my cue. Um, but it got to the point where when I, you know, after the season, we had our our conference meetings were in Scottsdale. I sat down with Klaus and I have some of the video on my phone. He's just laughing. And I told him the play you're talking about, like the accident play that we ran that turned into our spin draw, what we called it. And he was like, yeah, this is the same side hand. You know, he's like basically describing this, this play that has come up now. And he's talking about, well, the three techniques here, the five technique. And as I'm going through it, I'm like, all right, well, I don't get it. Like, I don't understand <laughs> that degree of it. I was going to say, I, I was watching the video this and you actually sent it to me when it happened. Uh, we had a play in high, my favorite play that we ran in high school was something called 32 scissors. And it was essentially, it was a misdirection where the quarterback would open up at the opposite side, but very quickly switch hands and hand off to the fullback coming through. And you, you, you know, you brought the offside guard, crushed the defensive tackle nearest him, slipped the play side guard and tackle to crush the linebackers. And as a, as the tackle, it was a blast for me because, you know, high school D tackles don't know to stop you. When you're when you try to when you do a, a rip move on them, so that means there's a linebacker who's looking in the wrong place and not seeing you coming at him, and it that I love that play, and so when I saw you guys running that, I was like, oh my god, it's 32 scissors, but they don't have a line. Yeah, it, it, there was a lot of interesting things like, and also you can get carried away, which I'm sure I, I know I did too, but like where there was stuff we'd practice. And I, the one thing I want to do is we were going to rep the heck out of plays at practice. And there was a couple of times where, where we would do this thing where it was like, Hey, let's try this. And we had, we had a, we had a game where somebody gave us a hard time with like, they were timing up the snap really well. And so we started to mess with snap counts. And then it was like, let's try this. Where basically we had three, you know, the kids who probably touched the ball the most. And I was like, all right, we're going to have two different signals and one's going to be baseball teams and one's going to be football teams. And if I call out Dodgers, this is where we're going to run. If I call out Seahawks, you know, or I call out Rams or I call out Raiders. And so, and we, it, the kids did it pretty well, but I'm like, what, 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 when I got home, I was like, I can't do this. This is just too much where I'm like, just, just don't out. say Cardinals. 
Yeah, or you know, or expos. If I like get in my own head, where like you know, just <laughs> like, are the expo. <laughs> yeah. At, at one point, I remember like we had a um, we had a couple of the families over Memorial Day way after the season ended, and one of the moms, you know, of the kid who we you know like the last kid on our team because we were down to eight kids. She was like, I texted him pointing to the husband. She goes, what did you get us into? They're awful. They're going to, we might not win a game. And I was like, you know what? I actually thought that too. But, and that was the practice. You should have seen it before your son showed up kind of thing. You know that. And it's just like, it's just a fascinating little rabbit hole. You can go down. The, the biggest thing I think I took away was that kids take your cues, kids at that age, at least really take their cues from the adults. And so if you're really positive with them and you're just like not overly emotional at times, especially when something doesn't go right, you know, they'll probably respond better to it. And like our kids and our, the parents were, were awesome, you know, and it was just a real fun experience. And no matter, you know, what happens in a different season or a different, you know, league, um, you know, I feel like we'll always have kind of that where it was kind of like, it was just really sweet. Well, I and did you get rings? No, there's going to be no rings. We did. <laughs> after the, you know, after the first game, one of our players had said, Coach, who gets the game ball? And I was like, uh, I can't give anybody the game ball. They only gave me four balls to put the season. <laughs> we, we, have, we have nine games. So I thought about that at the end of the year. And we had a banquet. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go online. And I bought a bunch of game balls. And I just you know signed you know an individual message to each kid because I was like, you know, Lots of kids are going to get trophies and stuff from the league. And I was like, you know, at the end of the day, some of these kids are throwing the ball in the street and, you know, it's probably not going to matter. But at that point, I was like, I want something kind of like that'll feel special for this that they'll have and maybe they'll keep it. I will say Bruce. that while I was reading that story, like I was super interested because coaching a team sounds like something I could never do in a million years, especially with the logistics and stuff. But there were a lot of very sweet moments, too, about just like. You know, as I'm new into parenthood myself of spending time with your kid and, you know, being out there in the car rides and on the field and stuff. And I just wanted to let you know that it was like a really enjoyable thing to read. And, and I'm happy that you had that experience. Speaking of, of sweet moments, I do think we need to introduce another person to the podcast. Uh, we've talked about her quite a bit on the podcast, but I think it's time for you to hear her voice. Uh, Ari, let's let's have Liv Wasserman make her uh, her podcast debut. So she just had her first words this week, and I got it on on camera. <laughs> that is yeah, a blazing but, hot take about Michigan State recruiting from Liz yeah, Liv Wasserman. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, amazing. They're going into Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be amazing yeah. so bruce feldman thank you so much for joining us i do think if you have another season like this you're probably going to be in line for a power five job so just just be ready i hope your agent is is ready to field all the calls but uh what a debut uh thank you very much it was i, I don't i don't know how much there's going to be more from from this or whatever i think we just kind of caught a little bit of lightning in a bottle with you know the mix of kids and everything like that it was just fun so it was like Ari I would tell you the same thing that I felt I could never have seen myself saying I'm going to be the head coach not just because you know you don't think you can do it it's just like there's a burden of adulthood responsibility that comes to managing mm -hmm. 10 kids and you're like oh that aren't yours yeah whatever yeah 
And so you never know. It's like, but the one, the thing I would say is like, I am so glad it worked out this way in terms of just, you know, the experience I had with, cause ultimately it's like your kid, but then you see the, you know, the kind of connections you make to other kids. I've had parents reach out to me through, you know, in the comments of the story, talk about like relationships they've had or kind of bonds maybe they've had with some of the kids they may have coached in little league. And now they see them, you know, as, as adults in their town. And it's just like, I was like, wow, I never really thought about like that, but that's, that's a really cool thing. Well, it, it was a fun read. And again, if you have not read Bruce's story, if you're not subscribed to the athletic already, get your butt over there and click on Bruce's story and subscribe there. You can go to theathletic.com slash Andy Staples, subscribe there a dollar a month for your first six months. You will not regret it. Bruce, Ari, thank you so much. Let's all, uh, I guess we all got to get back to parenting. Talk to you later. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.